0: guys i'm here with the hollywood life podcast and i'm also here with my co-anchor ali stagnita hey ali
2: hi bonnie thanks so much for that nice intro um guys i'm so excited for our guest today and if you enjoy this podcast make sure you subscribe make sure you review us uh, because that's what keeps us coming back for more
0: yes definitely want you coming back for more and um we've got a guest who you are going to want to hear more and more about. And that is Amanda Littman, who's the co-founder of Run For Something, which is an organization that uh, encourages progressive, uh, particularly young people to run for political office. And we're gonna let her tell you more about it. And so welcome, Amanda.
3: Hi Bonnie, hi Ali, I'm so excited to be here. This is so much
0: fun. Well, we are excited to have you. And since, um, you know, we have told our audience about run for something, but it's been a while. And so I would love it. If before we kind of leap in, if you want to tell our listeners more about what for run for something is, I know you launched it after the 2016, um, election, you worked on the Hillary Clinton team and, uh, I think you already had your feet in the political waters before that but what in what is run for something and what inspired you to do it
3: Yeah so I have worked on campaigns my entire career um I went to Northwestern for college and got started working for Barack Obama when I was a senior on his re-election 2012 worked for him through election day then for his nonprofit for a while then for the Florida governor's race then moved to New York where I now live to work for Hillary About a week after that very, very sad election day, I got a Facebook message from somebody I went to college with. Hey Amanda, um, I'm a public school teacher here in Chicago. If Trump can be president, it seems like anybody can do this. I wanna run for office because they keep cutting our budgets, what do I do? And I didn't have an answer for him because at the time, if you were young and if you were newly excited about politics and you wanted to do more than vote and more than volunteer, there was nowhere you could go that would answer your call. And that to me felt like a symptom of some really big problems in the democratic party and in our political process. So I reached out to a whole bunch of people with an idea. What if we started an organization that could be an entry point for people like my friend from college for people who just wanted to do a little bit more. One of those folks became my co-founder, this incredible operative named Ross Morales-Riquetto. We wrote a plan, we built a website and we launched Run for Something on Inauguration Day four years ago, thinking it would be really small. We'd get maybe 100 people who wanted to run for local office because who wants to do it? It's so hard. This is so crazy. Everyone's tried this before. As it turns out, 1,000 people signed up in the first week. And as of today, we're up to more than 76,000 young people all across the country who raised their hands and said, I want to run for something like school board or city council or state legislature. Now What? Um, so yeah, that's what we do is we help young people, mostly women and people of color, but folks from all kinds of backgrounds, run for things that are local, run for the first time. And in the last four years, we've helped more than 500 of them win.
0: So it's pretty cool. <laughs> well, I wanna give you, sorry, a, a giant congratulations because I did see in your newsletter this week that you have just elected the 500th person mm-hmm. to a political office. So That is giant, big congrats. Thank you. Yeah, well,
2: my question was um, just how, you know, what do you do for these people once they reach out and say, and now what? What what does Run For Something kind of offer them?
3: So if you sign up on our website at runforwhat.net to tell us you're interested in running, um, you will then get invited to a conference call. On that call, which we do every week, we talk through the basics of running for office, what to expect, the kind of questions everyone has, and how we can help. You'll then have a one-on-one with one of our volunteers. And these volunteers are screening for, at this point, four key criteria. Does this person meet our demographic limitations? We work with people ages 18 to 40. We work with first-time candidates. We work with people who share our values. Does this person reflect the community they're running in or they're aspiring to represent? Does this person have roots in that community? Do they know, you know, if they were gonna launch party next week pretending that COVID wasn't happening, could they fill the room? Do they know where it would be? Do they know where they'd hang the flyers or promote it? You know, do they have ties? And is this person willing to work hard? Campaigns are really difficult and we wanna make sure that folks go into it eyes wide open about what it's going to take. From there, you'll get access to our pipeline and in our pipeline we have a whole bunch of things for you from guides on how to get on the ballot in every state um, to trainings and webinars some that we host some that we host with partners some that our partners host exclusively that will help you with everything from writing a campaign plan to learning all the jargon that we use within this industry um, to figure out what to do with the voter file once you get it or what the voter file even is to begin with all the way through to election day We have a network of about 500 folks across the country who want to help you a candidate for free. So you'll tell us, I need help with advertising. We've got Hollywood advertising execs who will get on the phone with you and help you out for free. You say I need help with policy. We've got experts who worked in the White House who will help you out. Then you can apply for our endorsement. Um, We have an application. We wanna see your plan. We wanna see your budget. We wanna see how you're gonna get from A to Z. And we wanna know that you have like really put some thought into this. We have endorsed about 1,600 people who have applied, About maybe about 3,000 have applied, so about half. Um, And endorsements come with a whole bunch of deeper engagement. We have regional directors all across the country who will work one-on-one with you as an endorsed candidate. Maybe you need someone to get a state party to answer your email. Maybe you just need someone to tell you you're doing a good job. Maybe you need help figuring out a sticky problem that has come up in in the media. Our regional directors will help you with whatever it is you need. They will also recommend you to partners for endorsements, for money, for volunteer effort. We'll recommend you to reporters, so basically anytime you may have run a a local candidate in a national outlet, it's because we've worked with them, and those are the folks that we track all the way through to election day. The other thing you get as an endorsed candidate is a connection to an alumni. Everyone we've endorsed in previous election cycles, pretty much everyone, agrees to help support the up-and-coming class. So the college student who ran in 2018 will mentor the college student running in 2020 or in 2021. Um, endorsed candidates are who we work with through election day, they're who we track our wins and losses for. And then once, you get, once you're done with your campaign, if you win, we'll help you figure out how to set up your office or how to transition. And if you lose, we'll help you figure out what to do next and how to, to wind down your campaign or to lay the groundwork for a second run, which many, many, many of our candidates who come up short prepare for
0: in the next couple of years. Wow, that is, it's a huge network that you have built just since 2016. And I mean, that's immense amount of help, immense amount of work you you must have put in and are still putting in. Um, and who are some of the, the names that the audience might've heard of? I know Lena Hidalgo is the very, at this point, really well-known Harris County judge who basically runs the elections there and ran that very famous election it's in texas and she had 24-hour voting and drive-through voting and now the texas republicans are trying to shut down all her fabulous ways of making it easier to vote that's exactly right
3: lena is the harris county judge which is like the county executive of where houston is and um, she's one of the most powerful women in texas and Arguably one of the more powerful women in the country. You know, Harris County is the third largest county in America. Oh. Also worked with people like um, State Delegate Jennifer Carroll Foy in Virginia, who ran and won four years ago in a competitive primary after giving birth to twins, who she would visit in the NICU every night and campaign all day. She flipped a seat in the Virginia State House, red to blue, um, went on to help ratify the Equal Rights Amendment and get health care for 400,000 Virginians. And now she's running for governor of Virginia, and if she wins in just a couple of weeks, she'll be one of the first first black woman governor in America. You also might know State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta in Pennsylvania, who was the first openly gay person of color in the Pennsylvania State Legislature. He's from Philadelphia, super charismatic. Um, He's on TV all the time. He's now running for United States Senate in Pennsylvania. Um, they're just a couple of these amazing young people who we've worked with who have made such a big difference in the last couple of years not just in the political landscape but in meaningfully making people's lives better and it's been really cool to get to be a part of their journeys
2: do you work directly with them Amanda like will you go personally meet these people that you take on because it does seem like a handful of people that you're kind of hand picking so do you create these relationships yourself with them
3: our team does our team does we're working with at an even point right now we're working with about 200 2021 candidates and an additional we oh. expect to add another 200 or so to that um so i get to know a couple of them through my work at events and through the run for something podcast but our team builds really strong relationships with hundreds of candidates a year um and it's the coolest part is getting to really build out our our
0: network and our connections to them Mm-hmm. and every time somebody new comes in and you take them under your wing, it's a it's building out your network. Now, just so our readers, or our, I should say our viewers, mm-hmm. understand, um, you do not work, you decided to focus um, on races that are below the governorship of states. You're not running, so you're not helping people run for federal government mm-hmm.
2: positions.
0: Why did you decide to go... Basically, state, state level, and below, local.
3: There's a couple of reasons. Um, for one, the policy impact is huge. You know, most of the issues that we care about, from criminal justice reform to reproductive rights to voting rights to climate, can, excuse me, can really be tackled and have progress on on the local level. Um, we think about these things as stuff that gets solved in Washington, but the reality is, is that states determine voting rights and states determine access to abortion and states determine your unemployment insurance and cities control what your streets are like and if your water is clean. So when you think about the stuff that really affects your day-to-day life, it comes from a state and local place. So if we wanna make a big difference for people and we gotta elect good folks to these offices, on the political front, we know that running good local candidates helps build the democratic party both in the here and now in that local candidates running helps increase democratic turnout at the top of the ticket by anywhere from 0.3 to 1.5%. It also helps build infrastructure and by that I mean, a local candidate talks to voters and updates the data and has communications with people. It's like a supercharged organizer, um, or uh, someone who knocks doors, they just have a ton of skin in the game. And we know that by electing more really good people to local office, we're building a really cool bench of talent for the future to run for things like governor and Senate and Congress and maybe even president one day. You know, The better mayors and city council members and state legislators we have now, the better higher office elected officials will have in three or four or 10 years.
2: Mm -hmm. Have you found that in the last year with COVID more people have actually come out to join your organization and are interested in running for office?
3: The craziest thing to me is that January 2021 was our most um, effective recruitment month yet, mm-hmm. our biggest month I yet. Um, and 2021 as a whole is on pace to be our best recruitment year yet, uh, which was not what I expected, if we're being totally honest. It's been very cool to see. And I think there's two fact, maybe three factors at play. First, the pandemic, which really illustrated how local government can make or break our lives, <laughs> quite literally, life or death. Um, You know, who's on your school board determines a lot when schools are opening and closing and what's happening with your local businesses and parks is determined in many ways by your state or city councils. Um, I think the protests, the Black Lives Matter movement of last summer, which really, you know, peaked or hit a new high last summer, really illustrated the importance, especially around police brutality and around fighting or promoting anti-racist policies in the city and local level. You know, Oversight of the police departments is a city issue or a locality issue. Oversight of the sheriff's department is a county issue. These are not things that you can solve with federal legislation in any meaningful way without also tackling them locally. The third thing, full transparency, is I think the combination of the election of John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock to the United States Senate, which showed people that the unthinkable was possible, that a 30-year-old documentarian can become a member of the United States Senate sort of opened your eyes. But the subsequent insurrection the next day, in which more than 500 local Republican elected officials and party leaders participated in or enabled or empowered it you know it showed us what the night before when we won in Georgia showed us what was possible the day after showed us what we were fighting against and that there is a huge swath of the Republican Party on the local level that is anti-democracy um, and we have a responsibility to fight them every step of the way and not let them gain even a tollhold of power um, because once they have a little credibility they use that to leverage it for more so those I think three 3.5 things really have helped make the last year our, our most effective one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the impact of the insurrection mm-hmm. and now, and like the, the big lie, the insurrection, and now the whole spate of, of voter suppression laws, which are state laws. Mm-hmm. They are, they're not federal laws. And so, how is that do you think it is the combination of those things that is continuing to push the interest in in progressive candidates like going i can't just you know i don't know do postcards or get on i i don't know attend a, a protest i got to do more
3: i do i think it's a big part of it is seeing what happens when there aren't people who share values in the room um, and even in states that are deep red, where a lot of these really bad laws are coming from, it matters how big the Democratic minority is. It matters how able they are to, how able and willing they are to fight. Um, it is—it's really horrifying to see. And I think for me, the thing that's the most frustrating is that we now, as a party, are spent having to bake it into our strategy that you know felons in Florida who should have their rights restored can't vote, or that Texans will have a really hard time without showing. ID at the polls, you know, it is, it really sucks. It really, really sucks. And a lot of it could have mitigated, been mitigated by some different decision-making 10 or 12 years ago, Mm -hmm. but can't focus on the past. Can't fix that. So what we can do is ensure that moving forward, we are competing for these state legislative and local offices as hard, as wildly, and as widely as we can, knowing just how high the stakes are and how quickly you can go from democracy to autocracy. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, when you said like 10, 12 years ago, um, do you, is that because the Republicans were onto the strategy of trying to uh, gain local offices before the Democrats? I think that's exactly
3: right. We know that the Dem- Republican Party has always paid attention to these local offices, and they have said as much over the last 30 or 40 years. Their path to eventually flipping a blue state red was to start by winning school boards and state lit- and city councils and county executives, knowing that that's how you build political power. You have to start locally. And in 2009, 2010, Carl Rove wrote an op ed. He said, We're going to target these, I think it was like a 110 state legislative seats for $35 million. We're going to do everything we can to flip them because then we'll be able to control the process of redistricting, which is when state legislatures redraw the maps both for Congress and for themselves. And if we do so, we can control Congress for a decade, no matter what the voters want. They did so effectively and successfully, and Democrats did not fight back. And then Republicans controlled Congress <laughs> for quite a while, um, basically up until 2018. And I think a lot about if we had made decisions differently in 2010 or even in 2012 and invested more on winning these state and local races, we would now not be fighting so hard to pass the For the People Act or um, the Voting Rights Expansion in the House and the Senate because it would have stopped the bad laws before they even came up. But mm. here we are, so.
2: Yeah, My follow up question to you was actually going to be about redistricting, especially Mm -hmm. because you are focused on these local elections. Has that been a major issue for you? And how have you combated those really, you know, right leaning local counties to get these people elected? I mean, what are you seeing? What are the trends there?
3: I think it's really interesting. We saw in 2020 that our most effective candidates were the ones running for county positions or municipal office or school board, those kinds of things, where the maps are not rigged. Um, Republicans have redrawn these maps for state legislatures in such a way that they really benefit in something like 43 of the 45 states in which state legislatures draw their own boundaries. They have favored Republicans pretty substantially.
0: That just, is, you know, oh, let me interrupt you for a sec for those who are listening. When we mm-hmm. say redistricting, yeah. we're really talking about gerrymandering. I just That's think exactly right. you might know that
3: term more. Yeah. Redistricting is the process, gerrymandering is the tactic. So the process is that every 10 years after the census, this in about two thirds of the country, this falls on state legislatures and the other third, it falls on independent commissions. They redraw the map of who gets to represent who in Congress and who gets to represent which voters in state legislatures. Um, It has become common practice for the folks drawing these maps to gerrymander the crap out of them, to really pick and choose their voters, either to make one district super Democrat, and usually all the people of color in that district and everything else Republican, or to spread Democratic voters across a swath of districts, diluting each of their power and ensuring that all of them are Republican. Either way, it's not fair. (laughs) Um, And it's a way in which the Republican Party has ensured that they hold sustainable structural power. They then compound that with voter suppression laws. So they control the maps, and then they control who gets to vote. And at the end of the day, if you control those two things, it doesn't really matter if you're more popular. It doesn't really matter if your messaging is right or your policies are right, because you control the rules. And when you control the rules, you get to decide who wins. It is a really big problem and I think it's something that has gotten a little lost in the conversation. We made amazing progress in 2020. Obviously we beat Trump, we won the Senate, we won the House but this is a really precarious moment because Democrats did not win a single state legislative chamber and in fact lost two in New Hampshire. And that damage is going to have incredible consequences even if we're able to pass these voting rights bills. There is some really scary stuff coming down the pipeline um, on everything from redistricting to voter suppression laws to bills about reproductive health, where because we didn't win, because we didn't spend money the right way, because we didn't invest early enough, because too many people were paying attention to Senate races and not enough were paying attention to state Senate races.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
3: we're gonna be screwed for a while unless we make a really serious effort starting now. And in fact, starting yesterday.
2: Yeah, I mean, guys listening, if you like look up a gerrymandering map right now or a redistricting map, because the way that some of these are drawn, I remember it will go like cross and
0: around. Yeah, and close to go, the star like, away. It's mm-hmm.
2: complete bullshit, honestly. Yes, <laughs> but, it
0: really is. Yeah. Yeah, I I saw in North Carolina where they already had a a gerrymandering problem um, that they actually made it worse uh, before the last, before the 2020 election. And um, apparently like the popular vote is around 50-50 between the Democrats Mm -hmm. and the Republicans. And yet, despite that, I think the Democrats ended up with three, three, seats in the state legislature and um the republicans at 10. like mm-hmm. it's it, just it's wildly unfair and in wisconsin the democrats i think had over 60 percent of the popular vote and still couldn't win the state legislature you know it's it really is tremendously unfair and the supreme court won't get involved is allowing this to happen so amanda you what can you know you're working on um recruiting and training candidates to uh win as many of the local races as possible like what what do you feel you need to try and break this or to break through this like what would help you with your candidates well first we're still always looking
3: for people to run so if you're listening to this and if you're the kind of person to listen to this you're definitely the kind of person we need in elected office. Um, And that is true whether you live in a red state or a blue state or a purple state, you know, whether you think you can win, whether you think you will definitely lose, whether you think you're experienced enough or not, I assure you, you care enough, you are willing to do the work. If you are willing to listen, You can run for office and I promise you the run for something will help you. Um, So if you're interested in running for office, runforwhat.net is where to go. You can enter your address and we'll tell you what offices are on the ballot for you in 2021. You'll also then start getting emails and text messages from us about other ways we can help you. The other thing we really need is resources. And it seems a little crass to say that, but every dollar goes such a long way with the work we're doing, both enabled to help recruit more candidates, you know, helps us run ads and make videos and tell the stories. But it also helps us support our current candidates and make sure that they have every resource they need. And especially for folks who are going to be running in 2022 or 2024, who really need the full 18 months to two years to try and flip these seats, every single dollar and every single way we can help them goes such a long way.
0: And what makes,
3: pardon?
2: Just where your major contributions come from.
3: Mm-hmm. Um when for something funded by more than 25,000 people giving everything from $5 to $250,000 but it's the $5 ones that mean the most to me if I'm being honest because those are the folks who like and I hear from them quite a bit they're giving you know a little bit out of their unemployment check or a little bit out of their weekly allowance and I I am so grateful for that it really does mean a lot to us it,
0: your candidates like um I've heard you speak, you're a very optimistic person. We're in a, a for progressives, or even for anybody who considers himself a Democrat, and I think anyone who really cares about democracy um, has to be very concerned about what has been going on with the Republican Party, being willing to, to refuse to, to acknowledge that President Biden won and to you know, they are making it a litmus test for their party to support Donald Trump's lie that he won. And so you're you're looking at this landscape and the, the voter suppression laws, but you've managed to get 500 people elected and some of them are in red places. Mm-hmm. What does, like, what makes that work? Being able to still get a candidate because I don't want anyone to come away discouraged that even if you are in a red area that you actually really can't get elected. Like that's not true, you still can. So what makes that happen? How are you able to do that?
3: I think there are two things that set set apart a really successful candidates, especially those who are flipping seats. First is they're able to really articulate their rationale for running. And the questions that we often ask people to get at this are, why are you running for office? What is the problem you're trying to solve, and how does the office you're running for give you space to solve it, and why should voters want you to win, which is different than why do you want to win. You want to win because winning is great. Voters should want you to win because you're going to make their lives better. You're going to take some troubles off their plate. You're going to lower their utility bills or make their homes a little more affordable. So when candidates can really, you know, pull together an answer to those questions, the rest of their campaign gets so much easier. There is a more clear path. They're making decisions not based on what do I believe, but how do I convey what I believe, which is a very different place to be in as a candidate. The second thing that really successful campaigns do is talk to voters. And this was hard during the pandemic, obviously, when nobody was not too many people felt safe knocking doors, which totally made sense given what we knew at the time. Um, when people were you know, pretty isolated and certainly digital tools, phones, text messages, zooms, that kind of thing made up for some of that, but really nothing replaces knocking on someone's door and the most successful candidates were able to flip seats are having those conversations with voters in their homes at their doors in their community centers, at their schools. Um, Building a relationship and earning trust and reminding folks who most of whom have never met a candidate running for office before. And I bet most of your listeners have never met someone running for office before and asking for their vote personally. It's a really big deal, actually. And it's kind of cool. And people remember it, um, that you as a candidate cared enough to show up and ask and try and earn their vote. Um, so the really successful candidates are the ones who do that and put in the time, and there's no shortcuts. And I won't pretend it's hard. I won't pretend it's, or it's I won't pretend it's not hard. Rather, and it's certainly not glamorous. It doesn't make a ton of money. You're not going to make the headlines most days. But the, the way I've heard this best phrased on the Run for Something podcast, where I talk to our alumni and candidates, I talked to State Senator Sarah McBride in Delaware, who's the first trans state senator in the country. Um, she's amazing, and one of the things Sarah said was that if you want to fall in love with your community, run for office.
0: And I think that's just really beautiful. If you want to like love the place you live, run for office. Absolutely. Well, because when you make a personal connection, mm-hmm. you can very often break through that perception of the fact that you're a democratic candidate and you know maybe it's a red area, but a voter can still relate to you and be inspired. And so you can still, you have these breakthroughs all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, that's exactly Right. You were able to flip seats.
2: Mm hmm.
3: Correct. Even when they're gerrymandered, right? Even when they're gerrymandered, you know, nothing, especially when these maps were drawn a decade ago, um, nothing is permanently red or permanently blue, just as much as we have to try and flip these seats. We also have to protect the ones that we've won. Um, that's the fun part about the political process is that there can always be a surprise. <laughs> Anything can happen. Uh, incumbents, especially Republican ones, get indicted oh. all the time. So <laughs> it's
2: worth <laughs> <frustrating and> it's <laughs> worth trying. Oh, those taxes. Gotta watch the taxes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's hilarious, but true. Very true.
0: Do you feel that um, you're you've got more more people? Obviously, like you said you've got more people coming forward right now. So they're not being discouraged by the fact that we're looking at a tough 2022. Um, what do you, like, what, why, do you, do you, why do you feel, I know it's not really your area because it's federal, but why do you think the House lost seats in 2020? Was it because they weren't able to go door to door? because Democratic candidates were more cautious about observing the pandemic? The margins that we saw in
3: these House races are not margins that you can win or lose with a field campaign. So I think that Democrats made the right choice not to get people sick by canvassing. And we know that when people were canvassing, even if they didn't say so to reporters, um, they told us that people were getting ill. So I think they made the right choice. And. I do think there's a lot of reasons in which some of these house races came up short or were disappointing. Um, first, a lot of the races we won in 2018 were on gerrymandered maps. Um, and when you, all of your resources are focused based on a house map, you reallocate them differently. In this case, the biggest driver of voter contact and of advertising was often either a statewide election or the Biden campaign. Um, that just meant that these, you know, the maps don't always overlap in a way that perfectly allocates resources to support the whole ticket and often just works in the favor of one or another. Second, the polling is super broken <laughs> and I don't have a good solution for it, but I do think it does affect resource allocation. The third thing and this we've seen more so on the state ledge level than on the house level, but money, while it was spent pretty wildly and certainly some <laughs> records came really late. And when you're trying to flip seats, you need that funding early because you need to do work over a sustained period of time. So, you know, there's no one explanation for every single loss. There's no one explanation for every single win, but there's certainly a loss by a thousand paper cuts, which I think is what we saw in
0: 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel that, um, well, first of all, are there any other organizations that are democratic, progressive who are doing anything similar? Like, or do you feel like You have the whole weight of trying to, you know, fill all of these local and below state level seats, like the Democratic Party state um, organization, the DLCC. Are they also carrying this weight along with you? Are they doing things like this? we work with a
3: whole network of organizations from the DLCC to state parties to Emily's List to DSA and Working Families Party and Latino Victory Project and Collective Pack and a whole other group, bunch of groups. I could mis- list them for hours. Um, we are one of the few that does this work at a national scale with a local focus with young people, but there's a ton of groups that take on different pieces of the pie and we're really glad to work
0: with them all. Mm-hmm. But do you feel that there's enough going on right now, rec- doing what you're doing, because as you said, you've got, you can only, like, you've really grown, but you still don't have enough funding for what you wanna do. So, is there enough going on to, uh, you know, get enough candidates into the pipeline for the next batch of elections? Because it isn't just 2018, I mean, 22. You're dealing with elections that come up all the time that are local
3: we had three elections yesterday um oh my god yeah we've, we're actually now up to 503 winners which is really fun
0: my oh staff, you won all three congratulations
3: my already out of date um no i don't think it's ever enough um this is and this is the thing that makes it really hard when you talk about this kind of work um, it is always really important and it's never the most important thing at the same time. The moment it becomes the most important thing when we're seeing this wave of state legislatures passing voter suppression laws or anti-choice laws, I'm, it's too late. It was the most important thing five years ago, 10 mm-hmm. years ago. So it can never be enough. And I wish we had 10X the amount of resources. And I also wish that we didn't have to exist because there was a really strong network of state parties doing this work. Neither of those are reality. So we'll work with what we've got, but um, it is never enough. You know, there are more than half a million elected offices in the United States. Something like 70% of them go uncontested, meaning only one candidate from either major party is running.
0: We have so much room to grow here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You really do. Um, do you feel still hopeful that because of the work that you're doing now, even if we don't get the voting, any of the voting rights legislation, to go through, even if we're facing some tough years, that we will get democracy back. Like there'll be a point where there, we can tip back. I hope so. I, I can't.
3: I won't pretend that I am optimistic about that. I, I do think this is a five alarm fire, and I look. It's. It would be very easy for me to say we'll be okay, but we won't. We won't be okay, and I not to scare anyone, but I think it's worth hammering home. This is a five alarm fire for democracy. In the same way that Trump was, was a four and a half to five alarm fire for democracy, this is it. This is the final place where they wage warfare. It is so scary and so hard. And it feels like we are pushing a rock up a mountain only to have already pushed this rock up the mountain for the last four years. Yeah. And you can't stop. Because what they are counting on is that we are tired. What they are counting on is that we are <laughs> tapped out of money, tapped out of enthusiasm, think the job's over. And that is a little bit what happened in 2008. Barack Obama won and most Democrats said, cool, got a democratic president, I'm out. That's a really good way to then lose two years later and set ourselves up for a decade and possibly a generation out of power. Mm -hmm. It's really scary. It's a really scary moment for people who care about democracy and, and, I do think we can compete, I think we can win. I just think we gotta do the work now, we gotta do the work yesterday, we gotta do the work tomorrow. Um, And if we let up for even a minute, they will swoop in and we
0: will be screwed. Yeah, why aren't they tired? I've heard so many times um, from friends who were very involved in the 2020 election and were donating a lot of money, like as much as they could and were out, you know, doing phone calls and texts. I mean, they were doing what they could. Uh, So many of them do feel exhausted right now. Like it was such an effort just to get rid of Trump. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think we are dealing with some exhaustion. Why don't they, why don't the Republicans get exhausted?
3: (laughs) I think they don't get exhausted because their funding comes from mostly a singular source. You know, the Koch brothers support so much of these infrastructure. Because Democrats treat, generally speaking, Democrats treat politics like a series of sprints. Republicans treat it like one long marathon and they fund it and they train for it accordingly. We are always ramping up and then ramping down. And it's really hard to sustain it. Anyone who's ever like done a spin class, you know the hit is the hardest one. It's the long endurance that that ultimately makes you stronger and more able to cross the finish line without like wanting to throw up when you're done. Um, so I do, I think they're, they're set up for a marathon. We're set up for a series of sprints and we can't win and can't sustain a series of sprints uh, at the kind of pace we need to.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, before we wrap up today for people listening, what are the states that need the most kind of support right now when it comes to having Democrats run for office?
3: All 50 of them, which I know is not a helpful answer, but I wanna be very clear. Every state could use more Democrats running for office. Um, blue states need us to push further to protect the, the values we care about. Like Virginia, which Democrats now control, just passed the first ever state-based voting rights act. That ensures that no matter what, even if Democrats, say lose the governorship this year, which I don't think we will, but let's say we did, that means that voting rights are protected. And that's really important. Red states need to ensure, as I said a little earlier, that the Democratic minorities in these state chambers get a little bit bigger each time because we're never going to go, or it's very rare we're going to go from a 70 30 chamber to a 50 50 chamber in a year. But we could go from 70 30 to 68 22 or 28 to 65 25. You know, we can make a dent 35, pretend I can do math. We can make a dent over time to win bigger and bigger minorities and eventually make it flippable. But we're not going to do that in just one year. So any state you're in, any community you're in, even if you think someone with your values can't win, one, you'll be surprised. And two,
1: when you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.
3: Only way you can't win is if you don't try. Everything else is up for grabs.
0: Can I just also ask you to say um, just like to, to tell the audience, like generally blue states where there is blue majority, you really do have government helping you more to make your life better. Mm-hmm. You have more healthcare support. You have more, edu- more dollars going to education. You have more dollars going to all different public services. Like there really is a difference in what the government does to provide a higher quality of life. And I think that that's really important for people to know because, you know, Joe Biden's trying to fight this, the idea that government is a dirty word, but, you know, having states turn down those extra Medicare dollars, Mm -hmm. that makes a real difference if you get sick in a state that doesn't have them. That's exactly right. You know, the thing that my
3: partner often says, Ross often says, is that the problem with the Democratic Party messaging is not um, the party's brand. It's that people don't like government and that Democrats are the party of government. But in blue states, and you know, I live in New York. Uh, I'm from Virginia, which is now a blue state. There's a lot that can be done that can make our life infinitely better. Like New York City has a fund that will pay for folks that helps pay for people who can't afford it to get abortions. New York City just recently built, um, passed the most um, ambitious climate legislation in the country to change building code laws, to change the kind of emissions that sit that buildings and new developments are, are spending. Um, it's now much easier to vote here than it was even a couple of years ago because Democrats now control the state legislature. It really does matter, and it matters which Democrat is running the show. Um, it, it makes people's lives better.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so to wrap up, um, you know, we want to encourage our audience that if you know you want to support, run for something, and really help to um, you know find great and train great candidates who can go in and either flip seats or sustain seats and who can really, you know, fight to make your lives like your life better Mm -hmm. than, you know, go to the run for something website and it's easy to donate and you can sign up. I think you can sign up there for your newsletter. Exactly right. Yeah. And so you can hear about the progress. And if you think that you would like to jump in and run for office, well, we encourage you to um, again, go to the website, run for something. It's, is it.com or.net? .net. Run for something.net to donate or to learn about running for office and even sign up to run for office. And uh, we thank you so much. And we're actually going to be doing a series of, of um, profiles coming up in Hollywood life in which we're profiling some of I think primarily the women that you have helped elect to um, terrific offices across the country. So thank you very much, Amanda, for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Bonnie. And I'm
3: so grateful that you're able to tell the stories of especially the young women and young women of color we're helping run and win because they inspire more people to run too.
0: (laughs) They are inspirational.
2: (laughs) And so are you. Thank you, Amanda. It's such an honor to talk to you and hear about all the amazing work that you're doing. I appreciate that. All right. Thank guys. you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.